This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. All right. Well, here we are back with the team with you in the weeds and John and Austin. We are on our fifth episode of Grounded in Grace. Are you guys loving this series so far? I'm really enjoying it. I think uh, I think it's great. I've been really helped by it. And I hope uh, if you've been listening, you've been helped by it as well. So keep sharing it. And I hope you keep learning something about yourself and, and others. It's been yeah, great. I, I like it a lot. I um, I need to hear the gospel all the time because I it slips out of my brain. Mm -hmm. So this has been really good for me. Yeah. And so today our topic is the idea that God is the father that you've always longed for. And I have a feeling that this episode, maybe just even this title is going to hit a nerve with people. Maybe some of you are going to hear it in a positive way, maybe others in a negative way. And that's just because everyone has some sort of I'd say like an internal emotional response to this idea of a father, whether it's good or bad. And so I just want to start off uh, by asking the question, why are we talking about this in our Grounded in Grace series? Well, I think that this is a starting point that we can all relate to, and that's because kids, which all of us were kids at one point, um, have a basic need for safety, security, to be seen and sued, those four S's of attachment that we've talked about before. And actually, adults need that too, but it is of primary and critical importance in the early years of our development. In fact, the more research that's being done on brain development, the more it confirms God's intention and plan from the very beginning of time. And that's why this template for being in a family where you can get these good ingredients, the four S's, is central. It's absolutely central and it's critical to understanding human development. Simply put, when we're born, we are 100% dependent on our caregivers to do everything for us and be everything for us. And so when our parents show up and they meet these basic needs, our brains, our minds, our bodies, they grow and develop and eventually we become more independent, we individuate, we differentiate, and we, you know, hopefully have a strong sense of self. And ideally, the family is the safest place, or it should be the safest place for this to happen. And this isn't accidental. It's part of God's design. Everyone needs and wants this. Everyone longs for a place to feel known and to belong and to be attached to someone who loves us. In fact, I remember uh, when we first brought our oldest son, Jack, home from the hospital, and I think you guys can relate to this. You're both parents as well. Man, I just remember how small and tiny and fragile yeah. my kids were. Mm -hmm. I don't know about yours, but man, I'm like, holy cow, you're tiny. Mm -hmm. Anyway, <laughs> that's Jack, what I remember. Jack was kind of like a strapping 
infant, I have to say. He was sort of... <laughs> Strapping infant. He was, uh, uh, yeah, he was a big kid. But, um, you know, we, we bring him home from the hospital. We put him in his car seat and we put his carrier on the kitchen table and he's all snuggled in and he's asleep. And I just remember Shay and I looking at each other and we're like, who is this little person who has come into our lives and what do we do now? Um, you know, but instantly I just had this love for him. I had a desire to protect him. I remember thinking I would throw myself in front of a bus for him. Like it was just this strong maternal instinct and bond that I wasn't prepared for. It's just even hard to put into words. But this isn't an accident. And there's no wonder why God designed our earthly family to function in this way. And honestly, it's the best metaphor, the best word picture, for the best analogy, really, for us to come to understand as Christians how God wants us to relate to him and how he wants to relate to us as our father. Yeah. You know, I think I'm maybe saying the same thing in a little bit of a different way. This stuff you're talking about, Lynn, it's foundational because it shows and reminds and, and really validates the longing we all have to belong, to be seen and delighted in, to, um, Kurt Thompson says it in one of his books, to feel felt. Mm. You know, this is our safe home base. And as I was thinking about this, there's one of the shortest Psalms, Psalm 131, it, it names this. The author is speaking about the results when they rest in the Lord and look to him for their safety and satisfaction. And it says this in verse two, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Notice that the soul is calmed and quieted, not on its own in isolation, but in the presence of the mother. Mm. And, I, and, and I love that. You know, this author is tapping into that foundational embodied lived experience of a child who's quieted and calmed and satisfied and safe in the presence of here and their mom. Now, of course, the child, they can't articulate that. They don't have the fully functioning cognitive capacity yet. You feel this before you know it cognitively. So at the risk of belaboring the point, Lynn, this is so important what you're helping us see, and that's the need to belong and to be adopted has been hardwired into us. Okay, one last thing for me. This need, it doesn't only apply and it isn't only possible to be met for those, you know, in biological families or those with, with kids, but it's expanded to the spiritual family, you know, the followers of Jesus. So, so if you're listening, you don't have kids, you're not a parent, that's okay. This has applications in your life, and we're going to explain more about how and why. We may not have kids, but everyone has some idea, some framework for a father, good, bad, whatever. And that's kind of what we're going to get into today. Yeah, I love how you guys are laying this out. Um, I, I, I want to go a little further with it and connect it to the reality that in the Bible, God calls himself our father, mm -hmm. uh, and Jesus makes that possible. Um, our union with God, and this is really a stretch for the mind, our union with God is the same as Jesus's union with God. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we don't share his divinity. We're not God, but our relationship is the same. Uh, God sees us as he sees Jesus. That's amazing to me. It, it really is. Mm -hmm. um, and the significance of this is immense. It means that for all eternity, we will need to be fathered. Hmm. And it's something we need now. This longing for a father gets its energy from heaven. It gets it from God himself. And we also need mothering. 
uh, when God creates us in his image, right? The Bible tells us he created his image male and female. And in Isaiah 66, 13, God likens his love for Israel to the love of a mother. It literally says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. And the biblical category of God adopting us as his sons and daughters was extremely radical in the first century. Uh, the Jewish scholars taught that God was so holy, he was unapproachable. And at times, if you weren't in a right position, it could lead to your death. And Jesus shows up and shatters this notion with an intimacy that he presents of belonging to God as a father, as a tender father. That's so that's so good, John, and it's helpful. And the other thing that that I a question I had, maybe you've had, is you know we talk about the need to have mothers. You know, you said in, in a lot of ways, you know, we're born to mothers, we need the mother's care, all that, and yet God is named as father. Yeah. And if you have a lot of questions about that, we're not going to jump in now. I think the thing that helps me anyway is a good starting point. Not the only thing to say, but a good starting point. Why do we call God Father? Jesus did yeah. throughout his life. You know, he calls him God, our father. That's mm -hmm. not at the expense of mothers. It's not a competition. Right. We need both. And yet the way that the story is laid out, for whatever reason, God is called mm -hmm. father. So mm -hmm. just want to want to mention that. And if you have questions about that, you know, it's good questions, but that's why. Yeah. And that's a great preface. And so now we're just going to delve into this topic of adoption from a spiritual perspective. What does it mean to belong in God's family? Again, we believe that this speaks to a very innate longing that we all have to be known and loved by our Father. And then we're going to look at the implications that this has for us in our spiritual growth and journey. And so, John, just start us off. How would you answer this question? What is adoption as a biblical category? Father John. Father, Father John. John. <laughs> Lead yeah, us, you, you Father love John. You to say that. And you, it's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, just— there are so many places in Scripture that we could go. Probably the most succinct place that ties in adoption and God's fathering of us with grace and the gospel and eternity is Ephesians 1, where Paul basically says that the end goal of God lavishing us with his grace is to adopt us mm -hmm. as sons and, implication, daughters. Mm -hmm. So I'll just read the passage. Paul says, he, God, chose us in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world. So before dirt was created, uh, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. And that's through Jesus. Paul goes on. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He wanted it to happen. It's pleasing to him. He wants to adopt us. Now, the other backdrop historically to this is in the Roman world that Jesus was born into, and it was the world that Paul drew upon when he wrote his letters. It was the world that his readers understood. And Lynn, you're going to speak to this in a moment when you get to John chapter 1. And we're told that if we believe in Jesus, we have been given the right mm. to become children of God. Now, in the Greek world, uh, that's a legal term. And it really means that a wealthy person is very typical in the Roman world. Wealthy person with no kids could find an heir. Like, how am I going to keep my kingdom going? How am I going to keep my stuff in my family? I don't have kids. So they could adopt someone to inherit everything that the wealthy person owned. 
It also meant then that the adoptee is taken out of his state, and it could have been the state of being a slave. Uh, it could have been the state of, you know, whatever, a poor person, just a normal person. This adoptee is taken out of his state legally, and he's put into an entirely new status. And it meant that the father had the right to control everything in the adoptee's life. But it also meant that the new adoptee had a full claim on the father to maintain his or her own life. I would imagine that maybe at the beginning, let's say this happened, that kind of shatters your categories. Maybe you feel like, well, wait a minute, I'm still economically poor. Yeah. And now you're telling me I have everything. Right. I'm, I'm, so it takes a while. But foundationally, you're saying this is a legal status regardless of what you feel. It's like if Bill Gates came in and adopted me and said, hey, you know, you can have all of my houses in Europe. You can have my boats. You've mm. got access to my credit cards. Just mm. go and live your life. Mm. Like I would have every legal right to use mm -hmm. all of those things. Mm -hmm. Now, that's just an analogy. Mm -hmm. um, but Tim Keller puts it like this. Christianity means not just that all things have been taken off of me, like my sin debt, but something's put onto me. Like I am legally seen by God, and this is a direct quote from Keller. It sounds pretty radical. I am seen by God as his own son, Jesus. And the father is liable for all of my debts, all of my actions, everything I'm responsible for. Mm. Yeah, so such a total change of identity would feel, as you said, Austin, such a radical shift. And even if Bill Gates did that, it would take you a while to feel like, like, am I a gate now? Like, I don't <laughs> I've got the gateway. You'd be like, but I've been a 10 in my whole life. What does this new identity mean for me? You I'm know? at the front gate. Right. But, you know, that being said, I'm, I'm going to take us in a little bit of a different direction or at least make a caveat here. And I'm going to say something that may not be popular. It may not land with everyone, but I think it's biblical. And that is that we know that everyone or every person can know God as their creator, but not everyone knows God as their father. So God has a heart and a love for everyone whom he created. He deeply loves his, his creation, but he also has a different and special relationship with his children. All right, you got to keep saying more. I'm intrigued. You're stirring the pot. Just <laughs> right. say more. What do you mean? Well, um, here, let me talk a little bit about John chapter 1. John was an apostle of Jesus who knew and witnessed Jesus in the flesh, and this is what he says. He says, he, meaning Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, meaning the Jews, and those who were his own did not receive him, meaning they rejected him as their Messiah. And now here's the next verse where I think we're hitting this important point. But as many as received him, so believed him, called on his name, sees him as Lord, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were, not, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So I don't know if you caught that or not, but what John is describing is that our status as sons and daughters of God is not imparted upon us on our natural birth, but it is a gift that comes when we are spiritually born again. And that is the point in time when we believe in his name, 
receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and it's at this point that we are adopted into God's family. And this rebirth, so to speak, signifies that we are no longer just relating to God as our creator and judge, but now as our father. And that essentially changes the nature of our relationship with him entirely, just as we've been talking about. So to be declared as a son or daughter is a gift of God, of his grace, and it does not happen through human power or creed or self-declaration. It becomes a new identity that shapes, or maybe I should say reshapes our understanding of who God is and how he wants to relate to us and how we should relate to him. Yeah, I think maybe if I could connect this in a felt way a little bit, this idea of it's supernatural Mm -hmm. means it's accessible. So like I'm not not born born into royalty. I'm not born, you know, into Elon Musk's family or Bill Gates' family. I have no access to that kind of wealth by nature. But God doesn't see things that way. He sees things relationally. Like it doesn't matter your status on the earth or what lineage you're from, what access you do or don't have. I love you mm-hmm. and you're becoming mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I <clears throat> just big picture, Lynn, can I summarize what I think I heard you say just so I'm getting in and you tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong. Sounds like what you're saying is on the one hand, God loves everybody on this earth. He created them, loves them, whether they believe in him or not. Mm -hmm. And yet on the other hand, there is a qualitative difference in the relationship that he has with his own people, meaning those who've put their faith in Jesus, love him, want to follow him. Does that seem right? Uh, I'm thinking thinking Mm -hmm. about like one time um, we took our kids, our whole family down to Branson, and we brought along one of Adeline's friends. And that was great. She was, you know, in, in that sense, part of the family, watching over her, caring for her. She's in charge. And yet, we loved that friend, but we love our kids in a deeper, more foundational There's something qualitatively different. Mm-hmm. Or like in friendships, we've all, let's say we've got an acquaintance that we hang out with every now and then. It's fine. And yet, maybe we have a close friend who knows us and shares life with us that we're more vulnerable with, we're more invested in. The relationship we have with those close friends is qualitatively different than one with an acquaintance. And so coming back to your point, sounds like what you're saying is to be adopted and chosen and handpicked by God. It comes with significant relational, spiritual benefits because now we're a part of God's family and that mm-hmm. changes everything. Yeah, I I think that's right. And I would say, you know, Christianity on the one hand is the most inclusive religion because, John, to your point, anyone, yeah, anywhere across any culture, ethnicity, yeah. race, whatever country, nationality that you've been born in, anyone can be in God's family. On the other hand, it's also an exclusive religion in that the way into God's family is only through Jesus Christ. So basically, Christianity is very inclusive, as we've said, but we're speaking about an exclusive category that when we've received Christ as our Savior, we are brought into this special relationship with God. And to your point, God has tenderness and love and compassion and gives good gifts to his children. And that is something that we now inherit as Jesus is our brother, God is our father. It really opens up a whole new category for us and has really far-reaching implications. Yeah, I'm not sure why this didn't go further in church history. You know, you get to the classic Knowing God by Mm J.I. Packer, 
And when he writes his chapter on adoption, he says, if you want to understand Christianity, you have to understand adoption. Mm -hmm. Some theologians say that John Calvin called his gospel, as he explained it, the gospel of adoption. So this is a big category. Mm -hmm. It puts us in this special love relationship with God that goes way beyond anything legal. Like he's willing to die for us. Mm -hmm. That's how much he wants us. Now, Jesus in John 14 says to his disciples something interesting. He's getting ready to leave and he's telling them that. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Very significant. So of all the things that Jesus could have told the disciples, why would he say to them, I will not leave you as orphans? And I've heard it put this way. We're all orphaned at some level. Okay, Mm -hmm. so they're literal orphans, about 140 million of them in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's an old stat. Mm -hmm. That's from like 2012. Mm -hmm. Then there are functional orphans. Uh, Orphans, because they've been subjected to poor parenting, not getting all the things that they need growing up. And hello, Mm -hmm. my name's John. I have a belly button. (laughs) None of us get everything that we Mm -hmm. need. That those categories of being seen, safe, secure, soothed. Mm -hmm. And then existential orphans is a third category deep fractures of sin the sufferings of life they they leave us feeling alone Mm -hmm. like even as christians and the point of the christian life is not to simply provide forgiveness of sin or give us a set of new desires to obey god and those are certainly true but they're not the core of what it is to be a christian The point of the Christian life is to bring us into an intimate relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by making us sons and daughters. Um, In John 14, if you look at the prepositions that Jesus uses when he promises to send the Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit will live with us. He will be in us. So being a Christian is taken up into this eternal love relationship that the Father, Son, and the Spirit have always had from all eternity. Yeah, That's great. It's good for me to hear. And I, if you're listening, I hope you're getting something that's, that's sticking with you. For now, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to dig more into what the implications of adoptions are. So stay with us. We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing... Think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. Okay, we're back and we're talking about adoption. Now, we just talked about what it is, but now we want to talk more about what the implications of adoption are for us. And of course, there's a lot, but we're going to talk about three for the rest of our time. The first one is that adoption means that our debts are canceled. Second, adoption means God feels compassion and tenderness with us and for us. And then third, adoption means that it's possible to change our father filters. So let me start with the first one. Implications of adoption, number one, our debts are canceled. And this means that God does not see your sin and my sin, not because he's like, where did it go? But because he chooses not to. And this is laid out clearly in the New Testament book of Colossians. In chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, uh, Paul says this, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
Now, there's so much there, but but we learned two main things from this verse that apply to our, what we're talking about here. Number one, we had debts before God. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time we sin and sinned against God, that is an offense that has to be revisited and paid for. Uh, I mean, something that, that maybe will land with you guys, you know, think about like a bar tab. When you open up a tab, you get all the drinks you want. That's fine. But guess what? The end of the night is coming. And somebody's <laughs> got to pay for it, right? Another way I've heard it said, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody's got to pay. And that was the case spiritually. That was us. We're on the hook for payment until Jesus came. So that's the second thing that we learned from the verse. Taxes would be a good example. Taxes, great example. What's what's true in life? Death and taxes, right? Yeah, and if you don't pay your taxes, the <laughs> right. IRS is going to come get you. Good luck. But this is the second thing we learned from the verse is what it says, Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us. Now, he did this by taking on and experiencing and bearing the just wrath of God on the cross in his crucifixion. Now, this verse in particular is speaking about past sins, but we also need to say that Jesus paid for every one of our sins in the present and in the future for all time. Not his sins. Not Jesus' sins, your and my sins. And so, because of that, God is no longer angry with his people. The anger that he had was justified because of the sin, but now that Jesus has paid for our past, present, and future sins, God is no longer angry with us. Instead, and John, I'm going to lob this softball to you because it's our next implication. Instead, God feels compassion and tenderness and love with us and for us. Yeah, so you have written in the notes here, and we haven't talked about it, but I agree with it. You move God emotionally. So I'm thinking of a passage in the Old Testament where it says, God will rejoice over us with shouts of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And perhaps the most significant one is because we are joined to Jesus. He is our brother and God sees us as he sees his son, Jesus. In Matthew 3, when God announces from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is saying that by extension, literally to everyone who is adopted, that he is well pleased with me, mm-hmm. no matter what I've done, no matter what I will do. And honestly, I have a hard time climbing up into that. Man, I, I, I just hear that. And Lynn, I'd love to hear how this hits you. Just that fact you, you move God emotionally. I tend to view God as this stoic you know, uptight, (laughs) rational, like robot being just looking down and going, well, you tripped and you got hurt or wow, you did a good job. (laughs) No, the scriptures and what you're saying, John, is we have the capacity and actually do move God to feel things. And that's that feeling felt piece. Well, can we say that this, that that's why Jesus poured himself into flesh. Everything that you need to know about the father is embodied in Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus in between us and God, like God wants to take a piece out of us. God the Father poured himself into flesh in Jesus so that he could walk with us. He could be compassionate. He could understand. He could be Emmanuel, God with us. I know how you suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, that is how closely intertwined he is with us. Yeah, and I think that's why this this whole notion of adoption from a spiritual perspective, it does something to our hearts internally because we can all picture the embrace 
of a mm. father with their child and the tenderness you know that we see in that image is something that we all crave long for desire and that god is stepping in and and fulfilling that for us and i think another powerful implication of this notion of spiritual adoption is that it does have the power to change those father filters that we all have. So when we talk about relating to God as a father, this could be, um, very often is, very confusing, maybe hurtful. Maybe you find yourself, even as you're listening to us describe this, maybe you're feeling resistant even to this type of language because you never knew your father or you don't have a great relationship with your father, or maybe your father has hurt you very deeply. And so maybe as you've heard us talking about how God is loving and tender and compassionate, you may know this in your mind because you've read some verses about it, but you can't experience this deeply in your heart because of the way that your father related to you. And yet, coming to understand what this means that we have a loving heavenly father and learning to relate to god as our father can actually change this imprinted filter that we have of our earthly fathers none of whom are perfect we say that very often on this podcast um, and yet we can have a new experience of what having a loving father means and so we just want to spend a few minutes talking about um the reality of all of us have these father filters based on how we were parented. And this brings, you know, experiences to mind when we think of a dad. And I, you know, Austin, talk about the first one, like what what type of fathers are out there? Yeah, there's several. I'll start with the performance-driven fathers. Um, these are fathers who withhold love until we do the right thing or until we stop doing the wrong thing. Mm. You know, these are fathers yeah. who are lavishly loving and fun and happy and smiling and warm and give us big hugs when we do the right things. Maybe you make the play in the big game or you get the good grade on the homework or you, you know, you treat your siblings well. But if and when we have a different opinion, let's say, or when we disobey, or if we accidentally do something that displeases the father, anything from spilling milk while we're pouring cereal or maybe crashing the car, the entire demeanor changes. Maybe mm. they go silent. Maybe they give you a shameful or a disappointed facial expressions, just real subtle but real sharp. Maybe the tone of voice becomes more harsh and pointed. Whatever it is, when that happens, all you know and feel is that your dad no longer loves you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've had or currently have a performance-driven father, they won't give their love back until you perform or do something to earn it back. But God is not so fickle. Because we're adopted by God, performance as a basis for our inclusion, our acceptance, and our love, that is, John, you say it all the time, that's off the table. Yeah. Now it doesn't matter what you do or don't do. You are still loved. Now, it won't always feel like that, but it's always true. I mean, think about it. The sun is technically still shining in a rainstorm. Mm -hmm. It's above the rain clouds. We don't always feel it, but it's there. It's the same thing with God's love. So that's the first type of mm, father filter yeah. we might have is a performance-driven father that's filter. That's a great explanation, and I'm sure many people are <laughs> going, um, tick, tick. You know, they're checking all the boxes thinking that, that they can really relate to that. Yeah. You know, I think another category would be 
um, someone who has an apathetic or just sort of an indifferent father. So maybe you're listening and when you think of a father, you don't have a very warm, caring view of who a father is. Maybe you had a, you know, distant, apathetic, detached father. Maybe it's a dad who just you know, isn't attuned or interested in you. Don't take the time to get to really know you or pursue your heart. Maybe your dad is kind of self-absorbed and and he acts indifferently to you when you feel hurt or scared or you need help. But again, that's not the picture that the Bible paints of God as our Heavenly Father. And this is one of the reasons why I personally have come to love verses like 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. It's very comforting where it says, Um, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety, or another version would say, all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Again, it's giving us that felt image of a father who is bending down low, who's entering in, who's attuned, who you know, notices what is happening in our lives, and he cares for us. You know, another uh, verse that I go to is in Psalm 103, where it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he himself knows our frame, and he is mindful that we are but dust. Wow, what a patient, long-suffering, you know, picture of a father who's not quick to anger, not withholding love. He's there, he's present, he's caring, he's with us. Yeah, that's great. That's a, unfortunately, I mean, I hate that we have to describe these, but that's a good picture of an apathetic or an indifferent father. Another father filter that you might have um, is an absent father. You know, absent fathers were just that, absence. Um, could be emotionally, but especially, you know, physically not there. Maybe it was unintentional. You know, they had a lot of work or other obligations. Maybe it was intentional. And whatever it is, this absence, especially if it's intentional, it can be crushing. Mm. You know, the silence of not having a dad there can bring such pain and hurt and shame because it can leave people feeling and thinking, what's wrong with me? Mm. Where's my dad? You know, years ago, this is before I started counseling, I was working full-time with college students, and and we were starting this Bible study and going around and sharing our stories. And and one of the the guys there talked about his relationship or lack thereof with his dad. This guy in his life, and he was, I think, in his early 20s at that point, he'd had one conversation Mm. with his biological dad in his life, one. Mm. And he was nine. And his mom put him on the phone because his biological dad wanted to tell him that he wasn't going to be coming back anytime soon. And he should just move on with his life. Wow. I mean, when he said that, the room was silent. Mm. And I, you know, if that were me, I think I'd be in mess. I think he had processed some of it. But, But all that to say, it's crushing. And yet, God's adoption changes everything. Being adopted by God means that he's always present with you, with his people right now. And and a verse that captures this, uh, I think, really well is Psalm 27, verse 10. Though my father and mother have forsaken me, you could say abandon me, mm. the Lord will take me in. Absent fathers have forsaken their children, but the Lord takes them in. That's adoption, and that is God's heart mm. towards you. It's powerful. Yeah, so you've left me with the category of punitive fathers. Um, but I have to say that as you guys are walking through those categories, I had all of them. Mm. And I have no framework. 
So when we talk about God's tenderness, compassion, his engagement, his attentiveness, his intentionality, um, his sure loving hand of guidance and control, I have no category for that. It's almost like it's it's numb. Mm. So I never knew my biological dad, and I grew up formative years of my life. What, Austin, you said it so well, what's wrong with me? Mm. Where's dad? And the empty space that a little kid's brain will fill with that is with stuff like, well, I guess I've done something to not deserve his presence. That's the default. Or his attention. Mm. It must be me. Mm. Um, my later father, by adoption, when my mother remarried when I was 11, he was well-intentioned, but a very wounded person and was physically abusive and emotionally absent, unavailable. So when I became a Christian at 19... I latched onto this passage in Psalm 68 where David says God is a father to the fatherless and he sets the lonely in families. And the cry of my heart was, what in the world Mm. does that mean? And I started seeking an answer to that question when I was 19. Here we are 42 years later. I'm still asking that question. I still feel that vacuum and lack of category for a positive loving father. But I'm starting to piece together parts of an answer. I'm getting it from other people who give me uh, fatherly qualities Mm -hmm. that I've taken into my life, my second family in the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. which also is dysfunctional, by the way. We were talking (laughs) about that earlier. Mm -hmm. There is no perfect family on this earth. Mm -hmm. But by God's grace, there's enough given through safe people that I can take pieces in that I was missing and I can start to sort of rebuild. However, the ultimate answer to that question will only be resolved when I go home. And I, it's a hard thing to say to clients when you get to this father longing, but the truth of it is, even if you've had the most perfect father mm. on this earth, mm. that longing is eternal. And I'm going to speak to that in a minute. But Lynn, let me turn it back over to you. Yeah, I just wanted to name something, you know, as we are talking about adoption, you know, we we understand that there is a, a real reality in our world of children that need to be adopted. And of course, we know many families that have adopted children. And yet I think about this idea that kids who are adopted will typically long for and want to know about their bio families. I have three pretty close friends that I can think of right now, probably more if I spent more time thinking about it, that have adopted children. And in each case, this has been true. And and that no matter how old a child is who's been adopted or how loved they were or are by their adoptive family, that the drive to know who your mother and father is is very innate. And there's a show that I've seen occasionally on, uh, I think it's on TLC. Um, it's called Long Lost Family. And it's a series of stories of adult children who were adopted that hire investigators to help them find their bio families. You know, they're searching for their biological mother or father. And every time I've watched this program, I always end up crying at the end There really is something that touches us very deeply inside when we see that type of parent-child relationship 
be repaired. But why? Why would someone take the time, the energy, the effort to go down that road? And John, to your point of what you said, this vacuum inside, it's because something is still missing. You know, even if they're warned by the investigators that, you know, you may not like what you find at the end of the search, you may get rejected by your biological parent, they are still willing to go down that path because the urge to know who brought you into this world is so strong. And because the separation from that parent, for whatever reason, even if for good reason, it still creates a hole in a child's heart. And that just speaks to how strong the bond is and how deep it goes. Yeah, uh, this has been really, really helpful. We're, we're going to conclude the episode here in just a second. But I wanted to say, okay, of all of those filters, right, the performance father, the indifferent or apathetic father, the absent father, the punitive father, maybe there's some apply to all of you. Maybe there's one. Really what begins to change the filters is if you can just grieve if you can allow yourself to get angry and to get sad about your own experience, that can be, and we've seen it over and over again, that's kind of like taking out the trash. It can be cleansing. That doesn't mean all of the things are going to be done, but that's a good first step to changing those filters and going, okay, I didn't have the father I wanted and longed for. This is who, for whatever reason, I had. Mm. And yet that's not the end of the story because God is a father who, again, cancels our debts. Fills, it's filled with love and compassion for us, and that can change our filter. Yeah, so we've said a lot here, but I just want to say a few closing words about how the Bible portrays God as our Heavenly Father. In James 1.17, it says, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And so scripture is clear that God gives good gifts to his children. And so I just want to name what a few of those are. And we've talked about some of them in this series already, but let's just go over them again. He gives us the gift of eternal life through his son, Jesus. He gives us the gift of adoption, as we've been talking about today. As a son or daughter, we are brought into his family. We have a new identity, a new name as his child. He gives us the gift of repentance and forgiveness, cleansing, as we've talked about. He gives the gift of justification, where we receive Christ's righteousness because Jesus took our unrighteousness. He gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit that dwells within us guides us, comforts us, and intercedes for us. He also gives us the gift of wisdom when we ask for it. He's generous with that, and I could go on and on, but this is just a taste of the spiritual inheritance that we receive as a child of God. And so if you belong to the family of God, to which anyone can, through Jesus, then these gifts are things that you've undoubtedly experienced to varying degrees, probably, in your relationship with God. For others, you may say, I don't know if I know God in this way. I don't really see him as my heavenly father. Maybe, again, you don't have a category for that. And so, John, I want you to just close us out here. And what would you say to the listener who says, yeah, I still don't get this. This category is still really hard for me to understand, to see God as a loving Heavenly Father, what do they need to hear? I love that you're asking that question because all of those things you listed, about 99.9% .9 of them are not here yet. And so it's really normal 
to hear those gifts from the Father and not have a, a category for being satisfied. Mm. And I'm taking that right out of Romans 8. I, I love where Paul says this. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And Lynn, you the only person that's given birth here at the table. Sure. And that's... Uh, I, I have not given birth. Yeah. Let's and not that, relive that right now. That's incredible pain. Um, <laughs> don't ever look at your wife if you witness this and say, man, that was about as hard on me as it was you. That we That's a totally different episode. Yep. We'll, we'll do one of those later. <laughs> but Paul uses that as an analogy for what we feel mm. when we long for a father. Because then he goes on and he says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, and that's like a down payment for all of those things you listed, we groan inside of ourselves as we wait eagerly for what? Our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So that's an eternal category, mm. and it's not here yet. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's listening thinking, I don't feel that, mm. hey, welcome to the party. Like, we don't, mm. because it's what we're destined for. Mm. And, like, we get thirsty, we look for water. Mm -hmm. We long for a father, we're going to look for him. Mm -hmm. So we get the first fruits of it, as it says yeah. here. Like, we get little tastes of it. Little glimpses. But it will not come to full fruition and completion until we are with the Lord in heaven. Bingo. So a couple mm -hmm. quick points. I would suggest give up trying to find the perfect father on earth. Or to think that if you find your biological father or mother, you'll be somehow complete. Because even the best of parents leave us incomplete and longing for more. Because God adopting us is an eternal category. It started before dirt was invented. And apparently it's never going to come to an end. Mm. We long for that, the full redemption of our bodies. God has put that in our hearts. The second thing is become very aware of your parental filters that you project onto God, mm -hmm. because most people see God through the lens of their earthly fathers or father figures. Uh, and Hebrews 12 makes a clear distinction between our imperfect earthly fathers and our perfect heavenly father. Some of my richest connections with God have been times where I have literally said out loud, God, I'm so sorry that I see you as absent and not caring for me. That is my father filter. That mm -hmm. is not you. And I need you to break through that for me. Mm -hmm. And third, focus on the passages that speak of God's love and make those your core, mm -hmm. your regular focused devotional content mm -hmm. to begin instilling that deep in your heart. Yeah. So I hope this has been helpful. I, is there anything we would add to that? I, I think you you said it great, so I'm not going to say anything more. I'm just glad, and I hope as if you're listening, you've taken something away that is helpful for you to remember that you actually have the Father you've always longed for. Following Jesus, that's in the future, and we'll get the consummation uh, of all of that. So looking forward to it. Very much looking forward to <laughs> it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and make it so. Amen. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.